bottle of sadness from wherever you've been. Come broken hearted, let rescue begin. Come find your mercy, oh sinner, come near. Earth has no sorrow, heaven can't heal. Earth has no sorrow, heaven can't heal. Thanks so much again for taking your time tonight. It's great to be with you, and I love this privilege of getting to teach at least once a month here. So one of the main things I've experienced in the sessions that we've had with people is almost matter-of-fact assurance of the authority that the Lord Jesus has given us to stand in his stead and exercise so that we can see the same results he got. Tune in as we go forward tonight, see what you think. And um, so I'm in the Hebrew scriptures, usually called the Old Testament, and I'm just astounded by God's acts on behalf of his people, especially when they obeyed. That made it easier for him. But even when they didn't, which, of course, was most of the time. But so here's the just the opening, you know, Second Kings, Elijah passing the mantle to Elisha. So Elisha struck the water with Elijah's cloak and it parted. And then he purified bad water by putting salt in it. And they had the miracle of the widow's oil to pay her debt. She just kept filling up the things with oil. The barren Shunammite woman uh, had a son. Then he died. Elijah, Elisha raised him back to life. Then they had the uh, poison stew because some moron threw in a bad mushroom or something. I don't know. And he put some flour in that, and that was healed all by revelation. Then he fed a 100 people with 20 loaves. Then he got Nam and the leper in chapter 5. Chapter 6, he got the axe head. Somebody lost an axe in the river, and it's not exactly clear how Elisha did it, but he took a stick, and it floated up to it, or he jammed it right in and whatever. And then he all the Arameans surrounded him, and they were blinded, and you got the chariots of fire and so forth. So we know God hasn't changed. And it's very interesting because remember the Old Testament, Hebrew scriptures was written primarily or at least in large part for Jesus. So they would know who he was, what he was supposed to do about it, what he would get if he did it. You and I can find that same information in the church epistles. But Jesus saw these miracles, and many of the miracles in the Hebrew Scriptures are very similar to the ones he replicated and amplified. So you might have read, I guess it was the May newsletter, maybe it was called From From One Many, the Pentecost thing, and you and I are the many, and Jesus expects us to follow suit and do the things that he did with the same power he used. So the key word tonight is exousia, E-X-O-U-S-I-A, a Greek word, and it means the power of rule or government, the power of him, listen to this, whose will and commands must be submitted to by others and obeyed. The power of him whose will and commands must be submitted to by others and obeyed. And that is usually translated, we're going to see it here in Matthew 8 now, authority. And that's the authority we've been given. So, going to read quite a few verses tonight. You'll love it. So here we go. Matthew 8, 5 to 11. 
When Jesus had entered Capernaum, a centurion came to him asking for help. Lord, he said, my servant lies at home paralyzed, suffering terribly. Jesus said to him, shall I come and heal him? Now listen to what this guy said. Lord, I don't deserve to have you come under my roof. Now, this is a Roman centurion, and when you watch this Chosen series, you'll see it'll become a little more vivid to you of the oppression that the Romans laid on the Jewish people for the most part. But obviously, there were a few who kind of took note of what was going on. But in any case, said, I don't deserve to have you come under my roof. Just say the word. My servant will be healed. And he understood that because in verse 9, he said, for I myself am a man under exousia, with authority, with soldiers under me. I tell this one, go. And he goes. And that one, come. And he comes. I say to my servant, do this. And he does it. No question. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed and said to those following him, truly I tell you, I've not found anyone in Israel with such great faith. All right. Chapter nine, Matthew, verse one to eight. Jesus stepped into a boat, crossed over, came to his own town. Some men brought to him a paralyzed man. We just watched this on The Chosen or a uh, replication of it, lying on a mat. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, take heart, sons, your sins are forgiven. Wow, uh, that's nice. But, you know, the guy's paralyzed. He probably wanted to walk. But at this, some of the teachers of the law said to themselves, this fellow's blaspheming. Knowing their thoughts, <laughs> Jesus said, it's like he's having a conversation with them. They don't even have to speak. Why do you entertain evil thoughts in your hearts? Which picture this It's so awesome. Which is easier to say your sins are forgiven or, oh, let me think. Um, how about uh, take a hike, get up and walk. And they're like, wow, wow, wow. They're both the same. But I want, I want you to know that the son of man has exousia, authority on earth to forgive sins. So what I'm going to do, boys, I'm going to say something that you'll be able to see happened, and that'll prove that what I just said you couldn't see also happened. Ready? Wait for it. So he said to the paralyzed man, get up and for God's sake, make your bed. Take your mat and go home. The man got up and went home. When the crowd saw this, they were filled with awe, and they praised God who had given such authority to man. Luke chapter 4, 32 to 36, Jesus was teaching. I love this first verse. It says, they were amazed at his teaching because his words had authority. Now listen, I don't know when the last time you taught the Bible was. I hope it was last night or today, but in any case, The same holds true when we teach the word. Uh, As you may have heard me say, I do errands on Saturday morning, listen to moody radio and usually get moody. But there's too much fluff. There's too many sermons that are, uh, it's just, oh, it's stories, it's this, it's that, it's elaborating maybe on a verse, whatever. But folks, most of us come from a background that spoiled us because it's line by line, word by word expository teachings. That doesn't mean you have to do every single one like that. There are all kinds of things Jesus did. Off the cuff, parables, all kinds of things. All of that's available to you and me. But I'm telling you, as you probably already know, there's no substitute for the word. 
and laying it out for people with authority. And that authority for you and me, in part, comes from the fact that we know that we know that we know. Someone just told me, well, you think you have all truth. Of course, that was not what I told him in any way. Of course, I don't think I have all truth. But, you know, as I get these excuses, we know in part, we see through a glass darkly. Excuse me, Deuteronomy 29, 29, an easy verse to remember. The secret things belong to the Lord our God. Okay, fine. There's stuff that's not in the Bible that we don't know yet. Okay. But those things that are revealed belong unto us and our children so that we can do all the words of the law. Don't tell me there's there's nothing in the word that we can't understand. I don't think I understand every verse yet. May never, but we understand an awful lot. So you can teach with authority. Verse 33. In the synagogue, there was a man possessed a terrible translation. It's daimonitsomai, demonized. We're possessed, if you will, by God. First Corinthians 6.19, we were bought with a price. Okay, so, but there's a man demonized with an impure spirit. He cried out at the top of his voice. You want with us, Jesus of Nazareth. Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. Jesus prayed that he would be quiet. No, seldom do we see that. He said, shut up, come out of him. Then the demon threw the man down before them all and came out without injuring him. All the people were blown away and said to each other, what kind of words these are. With authority, exousia, and dynamis power, he gives orders to impure spirits and they come out. Uh, go to Luke 10. I'll quote you John 14, 12, which I'm sure most of you know. You can go to Luke 10. John 14, 12. I'm sure you'll remember it. Very, very truly, Jesus talking to the boys. I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these. I have no idea what that means, because I'm going to the Father. So you get over to Luke 10. Now think about that. You believe in him. So that means we can do the works that he's been doing. So he sends out the 70. The king, the NIV says 72. I don't know the textual whatever, but 70 is generally what most people think. Anyway, he sent them out and they returned with joy. And you can read in the verses prior to that, his instructions to them, get out there and Bless people. He gave them a lot of more details. But they came back and they said, dang, Lord, even the demons submit to us in your name, like stop in the name of the law. It might just be one policeman, but he has all of City Hall and the SWAT team and everybody else standing by to back him up. So Jesus replied, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. There's several ideas of what people think that means. Um, you could think it's he came down to see what the heck is going on. Some people think it relates to his uh, rebellion at one time, but I kind of prefer the first idea. But in any case, verse 19, look, I have given you, and these people were not born again of incorruptible seed, but he had given them Holy Spirit power. I've given you authority to trample. You know what that trample? You ever trampled anything lately? I don't think I have, but trample 
on snakes and scorpions just crushed them to powder and to overcome all the power dunamis of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. But don't get a big head. Don't be flippant in dealing with these spirits. I know a former associate that pretty darn haughty in the way that he spoke about, yeah, these demons are like he wanted to taunt them or something. That's way out of bounds. Do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. In other words, for you and me, it would be keep your eyes on who we are in Christ. Look at James chapter 4. James, it should be to the right. James chapter 4, 7 to 10. Very interesting verses here. Submit yourselves then to God. Now look at this next, the rest of this verse. Resist the devil and he will flee from whom? You. Wait a minute. What does the word flee mean? You ever looked it up lately? It means get out of the burning house. Uh, to, to whatever. You don't even try to grab anything. You're just fleeing, fleeing. Think about it. What is it to flee in terror or whatever? The devil will flee from whom? Little old you, which ain't so little. Then it says, come near to God and he will come near to you. You know why? Because he doesn't move. You determine the distance between him and you. And really, of course, he's got you in his heart and surrounded and all that, but you get the point. Then it says, wash your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Grieve, mourn, and wail. Change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will lift you up. First Peter 5 says the same thing. Now, I take that to mean, in other words, get serious. Now, not too serious. <laughs> Get serious about ridding yourself of anything that would hinder your communion with the Lord and thereby dilute, dilute your fully utilizing the power and the authority he has given you. Ahead uh, for Isaiah 14, if you would. Now, the devil has power, yeah, but it's minuscule compared to God's and Christ's. So let's not give him too much credit. The word says, Second mm, Corinthians 2.14, I think. We're not to be ignorant of his methodea. King James says devices, his methods. Pretty simple, methodea. But we're not to be ignorant of his devices. It dilutes one's faith to talk of, oh, the devil, the devil's after me, and the devil this, the devil that, ah, baloney. Scripture refers to him as a roaring lion. A roaring lion. Now, a roaring lion is at least initially pretty darn scary. But if you stop and think, there's never been a roaring lion in the history of the world that bit anyone. Because to roar, you got to go, to bite, you got to go, okay? So that I, what I've heard is uh, the lion roars to freeze its prey in fear so that it can pounce on it. So we don't give place to the devil. And uh dear Gloria, who prayed earlier, sent me a nice note today and quoted these verses, and I stuck them in my teaching coming up here. Isaiah 14, we'll read 12 to 17, and I think that we can take the following verses here, the description of Satan's future doom as being 
how he has even now been rendered inoperable. That's a verb in the church epistles, katargeo or something like that, rendered inoperable by the work of our Lord Jesus Christ and how we should view him as subject to our authority. They want you to be afraid, but they are punks compared to you and your standing in Christ. So here are these verses. You may know them, Isaiah 14, 12 to 17. How are you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How you are cut down to the ground. This is his future um, demise being described. You who weakened the nations. There's that phrase again, the nations. Everybody but Israel. For you've said in your heart, and remember, that's that was God's intention for Israel to be a kingdom of priests, to be to have the ministry of reconciliation to the seventy nations, people groups that went south, but they went south too. For you've said in your heart, look at this, I will ascend to heaven, I will exalt my throne above the stars of God, I will also sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north, wherever that is, I will ascend above the heights of the clouds, I will be like the most high. That's five I wills, followed by a big, no, you won't. And I think if you go on, keep reading, you see six things that God's going to do. But anyway, we'll just read a couple more verses. Yet you shall be brought down to Sheol, the grave, dead, destroyed eventually, to the lowest depths of the pit. Those who see you will gaze at you and consider you saying, wait a minute, is this a guy that made the earth tremble? Who shook kingdoms? Who made the world as a wilderness and destroyed its cities? Who did not open the house of his prisoners? He doesn't look that tough now. Please turn to Acts 26. I'm going to quote you another verse you know as you are going to Acts 26. All right, First John 4, 4, you all know it. Greater is he who is in you than he, context, spirit of Antichrist, who is in the world. Greater is he, we've all quoted this verse a million times, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. It's true. So Acts 26, the Pharisee Saul was on the road to Damascus when the Lord first appeared to him and pretty much summed up his mission uh, at that time. So we're going to read Acts 26, 15 to 18. And so Paul was, you know, the light from above and all this on the road to Damascus. And he was temporarily blinded and all this. And verse 15, then I asked, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied, because he was persecuting the body of Christ. Now get up and stand on your feet. I think he's saying the same thing to me and you on a daily basis. Get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen. You think this is this ain't nothing. And what you will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I'm sending them to you. Look at verse 18. I love this one. To open their eyes and turn them from darkness to light, and from the exousia, here translated power, from the authority of Satan, who, remember, legally Adam transferred his dominion way back when over this world, and that's why First John 5.19 says that the devil is exerting the prominent influence in the world today 
but not in situations where you and I step in instead of Christ, 2 Corinthians 5, ambassadors in Christ's stead from the authority of Satan to God so they may receive forgiveness of sins and a place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. Colossians chapter 2. So that's a pretty cool uh calling, don't you think? And you and I have that same, I'm going to call it the Great Commission. Matthew 28, most people call that the Great Commission, but it's a pretty great commission here. So, as I mentioned, Jesus seldom prayed that a demon would come out, nor are we really told to do that. Same thing for sickness. Now, nothing wrong with it, but Jesus simply exercised the authority God had given him. And so, we too are to act with the power and authority we have been given. That's why it's called the Acts of the Apostles, Disciples, Followers of Jesus Christ. You all know Acts chapter 3, where Peter and John came upon the crippled man. And what did he say? Peter say, such as I have, I give you. In the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. And you and I have the same thing to give to people in need. Hey, I've been paralyzed by fear too often. Oh, what if it doesn't work? Well, he's not going to be any more paralyzed. It might work. All right, here's Colossians 2. We're going to read 9 to 15. And the more we do it, the more certain we will be that it will work. Verse 9, for in Christ, all the fullness of the Godhead lives in bodily form. That means Jesus perfectly manifested God. God gave him the potential to always do what God said, to always say what God said, and he did it. Why? Because he internalized the written word of God so that, hey, if God were here, he'd do exactly what I'm doing. He'd say exactly what I'm saying. Now, okay, all the fullness of Godhead lives in bodily form, and in Christ you have been brought to fullness, same word. The Spirit of God is in Christ in you. He is the head over every power and authority. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. And when you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. Look at these last two verses. Having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness. That's where it says we've received double They folded up the piece of paper so that the debt was blank, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to his cross. 15, look at it. I got it in bold type here. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle and exhibit of them, triumphing over them by the cross. He made a public spectacle of them. Now, this is in the spirit realm, and most people don't see that. 
but you and I can see it manifest as we take authority over these powers and authorities. Go to Ephesians 1, and we'll get there momentarily. Basically, in one way of looking at it, all the devil has is a big mouth. He's sort of a toothless lion who can only roar. And I was listening to um, Andrew Womack does some great teachings on healing. He talked about being in high school biology, and I remember this exact thing. We used to go out and catch bugs and put them in formaldehyde, and they died. And then we'd pin them to a board, make a display, and exhibit like a bug pinned to a board. And you may know historically that uh, armies, the ones that won, would strip the conquered ruler and parade him through the city streets tied to a chariot. They'd cut his thumbs and big toes off. And basically, they were showing the people, hey, you don't ever need to be intimidated by this guy again. He's toast. So you're probably familiar with Romans and Ephesians. And what is the the doctrine therein? Or there's a lot. But how about this? You died with Christ. You were buried with him. You were raised with him. And you were seated with him in the heavenlies. Now, one day we'll be there literally. That's where the shore is. Uh, We'll be up there for seven years-ish. Anyway, we'll be coming back to peaches and corn and a lot of good stuff. So listen, you, you died, you were buried, you were raised, you're seated. The body goes where the head goes. You and I now sit in a position of authority in Christ. So the only question is, will we choose to exercise that authority? And where is that battle taking place? Right between my ears and between yours, the battle of the minds. So here's a great section, uh, several from Ephesians that I'm sure you're familiar with, but let's ask the Lord to really let them enlighten us and pierce our understanding here. So Ephesians 1, 18 to 23, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he's called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe. And you can. You believed that a dead man was raised from the dead, Jesus. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms Far above all rule and authority is the word arche, power is the word exousia, and dominion is dynamis. And every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. Now look at this, uh, 22 and 23, and God placed all things under his what? Feet. Well, the feet are part of the body. And anoint, appointed him to be head over everything for the ecclesia, which is his body. So even if I'm just a little toenail, all things are placed under my feet. The fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Chapter 2, 1 to 7. As for you, little pronoun in the church epistles, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work 
and those who are disobedient. All of us also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. It's by grace you have been saved. And God raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. In order, last verse here, that in the coming ages he might exhibit, is the word, the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. And I don't know what all that entails, that we're an exhibit in the coming ages, but we are to exhibit his power and goodness and authority now. And Ephesians 6, 10 to 17, very familiar verses. Ephesians 6, 10 to 17, I know you've read them a bunch of times. Be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. There's an awful lot of 50 cent words in here. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It looks like it, but behind the scenes, there's wickedness at work. But against the rulers, the authorities is arche, against the powers is exousia, the authorities of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Well, Obviously, you're probably more aware of the state of the world than most people that don't have a biblical worldview, but there's a lot of people that they just don't want to live, feeling that they can't trust the authorities. I'm talking about government and doctors and lawyers and whatever. Sorry, sorry. It's a million times worse than most people think what's really going on. So here we are. Staying in, standing in here as light and goodness and so forth. So we're in a need, 13, to put on the full armor of God so that in the day of evil, hello, that's now, you, yeah, the evil day. From the time Adam delivered the dominion till the time Jesus takes it back by force. You may be able to stand your ground and after you've done everything to stand. Stand firm then with the belt of truth. That's the first part of the armor mentioned, the belt of truth. There is no substitute for the truth of God's word and the privilege that you and I have to know what we know, especially compared to most people who've never been taught one one hundredth of these things is just indescribable. So the belt of truth is buckled around your waist, kind of holds everything else in place. With the breastplate of righteousness, your heart is righteous in God's sight. And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows, the fiery darts of the wicked one. Just like they fizzle out when they hit a wet sponge or something like that. And 17, take the helmet of salvation and the sword. This is the only offensive weapon listed in the passage here. The sword of the spirit, which is, as you know, the word of 
God. That is what we wield on behalf of God. So we'll close with a verse in Romans 5. So go over there. Um, so as I said, the day of evil is now. Galatians 1.4 talks about this present evil age. And it began when, Satan, when Adam transferred his dominion over God's creation to the devil. And will end when the last Adam takes it back by force. In the meantime, in between time, the work of Jesus Christ has made it possible for God to legally intervene to give us the authority and power that he has. Like the old song said, you can't have one without the other. Because if you didn't have power, you couldn't exercise the authority and vice versa. So let us kick fear in the teeth. Step out of the boat, as it were. The water will hold you. And like David did with the Philistines, not the Philippines, the Philistines seek an occasion. He sought an occasion to kick butt. He was looking for an occasion, not in some psychotic way that obscured every other thing in his mind, but he was alert, looking for opportunities to exercise his God-given authority. And man, I mean, I don't care if you're a toll booth worker. In other words, rather isolated. You still, in your life, and I are going to have plenty of opportunities to step in, just to do kindnesses, not random acts of kindness, but kind things. I heard a little a guy talking about grace bombing people, just going out of your way to do little things for people they wouldn't expect, pay the bill of somebody behind you at the drive-in at Chick-fil-A or whatever as God leads you, and so forth. So we stand in his stead as his ambassadors. He took our place in death so that we can take his place in life. And Romans 5.17, in that wonderful verses 12 to 21, the guts of Romans, the foundational doctrinal epistle, It says, for if by the trespass of the one man, thanks for nothing, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. R-E-I-G-N, reign in life. That doesn't mean... We're going to do it perfectly. Everything's coming up roses. No, no. In fact, it'll be the opposite of that a lot of the time. But the will of Almighty God for you and every one of his children is that we, as it were, reign in life. And he has promised us and guaranteed us that eventually we will do that forever. So chew on these things as I am and... uh See what you can digest and manifest in your life in the days to come. I bet you you'll have an opportunity tomorrow. I'm going to pray to close, and Franco always has an appropriate song that you might uh, take a few minutes more and just let God work in you something while you're listening to it. you have something to say? Something that you said about stepping out and praying for someone or something. It's not up to us, and it's not about us. It's what, it's God backing up his word. 
And we just stepping out in love and in faith to pray for someone and to believe God. You know, we might not see something instantaneously, but just like the word doesn't go out void, that word doesn't go out void either. And it may take a gradual healing for them, but it will be healing. And so I would encourage you to do it anyway. Absolutely. That's right. That's what I'm saying. You just keep swinging. You miss 100% of the shots you don't take. You cannot hit the pitch if you do not swing the bat. So I want to thank those of you who contribute financially to the Living Truth Fellowship. It makes it possible for us to do what we do. I can't tell you how much Franco and John and I and all of our elders appreciate your investing part of your life. That's what you do. I mean, unless you won the lotto, even then, I suppose. But most of you go to work and get money for time spent there and give some. And uh, so we're, you know, there's some challenging economic times, obviously, going on. I just wrote a little thank you letter that I send to people who give. And the one for June, I put it together today. And I quote Jeremiah 17, 7, and 8 about blessed is he that trusts in the Lord. It'll be like a something like a tree planted by the rivers of water. In a year of drought, his leaf will not wither, and he will continue to bear fruit. And that's it. So if you're not pushing the envelope in terms of financial giving, whether it's to this ministry or to somewhere else they're really teaching you the word, or to individual people in your life, there are so many verses about helping poor people and others in need. And, you know, I know I've erred on the side. I've given to people I probably shouldn't have given to and way more than when I haven't given to people I should. But in any case, you keep swinging the bat. So we love you. We're thankful for your life. And um, please contact us if there's anything we can do for you. So, dear Lord, dear Father, thank you so much for your grace, your mercy. You always go, you always do the heavy lifting for us. And you've done, Lord, the heavy lifting. You lived a sinless life. That's amazing. And then you died an excruciating death. And that was amazing also. And you did it so that we can stand in your stead with no doubt a lot less persecution, but the same power and authority to touch suffering mankind. And we see your heart and your compassion and your goodness and your gentleness. You were a man of steel and velvet, steel when you had to be in facing the enemy and velvet in dealing with people whose hearts longed for God and his healing touch. So I bless each person on this call, their loved ones, their families, any sickness, Lord, we come against it. We take authority. We pray against it. We speak against it. We cast it out. We claim your promises, and we won't settle for anything less. And we will continue to confess what the word says if we drop dead in mid-verse. And if we do, you'll get us up forever. So, Thank you so much for the privilege of knowing and sharing your word. And we bless your holy name. Amen. Good night. God bless you. So lay down your burdens. Lay down your shame. Oh, who are broken. Lift up your face.
So lay down your hurt, lay down your heart, come as you are. There's hope for the hopeless, for all those who strayed. Come sit at the table, come taste the grace. There's rest for the weary, a rest that endures. Earth has no sorrow, and heaven can cure. So lay down your Lay 